Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Here we are again, guys. David and Matthew, TV Talkaholics number 27. Uh, hi, Matthew. How are you? Like a bad period. We just come back every month. No, stop. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, that's the tone has been set. But uh, let's see. But you know who don't have their periods? Women in their 60s who live in Miami during the late 80s and early 90s. Is, is, that, is that a good segue? graphic but <laughs> oh, oh i'm the oh, excuse the fuck out of me uh hey. i was actually surprised at how graphic some of these episodes were like i i watched all of them oh all the golden palaces yeah i only Palaci. watched palaces um i was really uh, mostly i watched i remember watching it the first go around and being and that like, was enough. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was like, oh God, this just isn't working. Uh, with this one, I did watch this episode, and then I did watch the the two parter that was the next episode in line where B. Arthur comes back, and you're like, yeah, this is clearly what is wrong and what is missing. Because I don't think the writing is that bad. It's, it's not as it, it was delightfully not as bad as I remembered it being. Which exactly. Is. It's just it. You almost wish that this had just been a different show. That it wasn't Rose and Blanche and Sophia. If it had just been other new characters that we had met that we hadn't already established all this other stuff with, it would have been perfectly fine. But as as a sequel series, and then we'll we'll talk about time slot and everything. And anyway, dear Tutti Fruities, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are about to discuss the Golden Palace. Season one, episode six, called Can't Stand Losing You, which had an original air date of October 23rd, 1992. So this episode, this year, this October, Matthew, is 30 years old. We were about to elect Bill Clinton to office. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. It's just, I, uh, 1992 is the year I moved to Florida. So to me, the fact that this year is my 30th anniversary of living here, September is when I celebrate that. That's just like, how, how have I been here for 30 years? Where, where mm. do 30 years go? The, uh, anyway, that's just, that's just old queen speak and uh, doesn't get better as one continues to age. But uh Anyway, The Golden Palace, Matthew, some people may not realize, is a sequel series to a show called The Golden Girls. Now, have you heard about that show? Some people might not realize that, but I think anyone listening to a fucking Facts of Life podcast <laughs> realized that, David. <laughs> so you don't think it would be worth our time to spend 45 to 55 minutes talking about The Golden Girls as a show? All I'm remembering is the first time we did um, Different Strokes and you started Different Strokes was a sitcom starring Conrad Bain that involved him adopting two African-American. And I was like, David, are we really going to go over the fucking synopsis <laughs> of Different Strokes? There are people that don't know that. There are people. Not that are listening to this. What? More people might listen to this someday. You never know. The it might have been somebody tuning in to hear you who knows you and saw you perform and said, I want to listen to a random episode with this guy on it. And if you think there's anybody that knows me that doesn't know the Golden Girls, I True. again, but I mean, cheese, cheese and crackers, David. I okay. Mean. Well, then I, I won't spend, I, I'll only spend about a half hour on that. Right. Um, <laughs> Hit me with that. It's seriously Golden Girls ran seven seasons, 85 to 92. And should have ran six. It should have, yeah. The, I, to me, what's great about the Golden Girls is I do not know of an episode other than the terrible and not used backdoor pilot for Empty Nest with Rita Moreno. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any singular episode 
that was any better or any worse than all the others. It to me is a pillar of consistency in writing. If there was a dip in season seven, I don't remember noticing it. The only way I can tell one season from another seriously is B. Arthur's hair. That's yeah. the only thing to me that makes any one episode different from another is that B. Arthur's hair was short and, uh, and permed in the early few seasons and slowly she grew it out. And it's just, you know, different hairstyle, different season. There was that awful season where she was just didn't know what to do with it that oh the, the growing left. it out phase where it was just kind of this mop on her head they hadn't yeah. quite yeah it hadn't all grown out yet for them to choose an actual deliberate cut that would be flattering and i'm i'm gonna say it though this is not something she was known for i think particularly once she figured out that hair situation I never got all of the ugly jokes directed at B. Arthur. I get that she's tall. I get that she has a deep voice, still not nearly as deep as it was on Maud. She is positively femme on this show compared to how butch Maud used to be back in the 70s. Uh, so I, I never thought that she was this hideously unattractive runt of the litter on this show, I thought she was no more or less attractive than the others. Yeah. Well, that's why she left. <laughs> is, that, is that really? It's one of the reasons she got tired of the, oh my God, how ugly is Dorothy jokes. Because yeah. How can't get a date. How, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Sure. So yeah, B. Arthur had already been talking about uh, not wanting to do it anymore. And that's, I think she had done that with Maude too. B. Arthur is one of those, like, I've done this for five years. I'm done. Okay. I'll do it one more. I'll do it a six. And then I'm done. I don't want to do this one thing forever. And, and smartly don't want to do it after it starts getting terrible. Cause how many shows just stayed at the party too long? Designing women, Murphy Brown, even the office well, that last season of the well, office is not my favorite unwatchable um but people also forget the timing of it um golden girls starting in 85 b by the time it went off the air in 92 b arthur had been on a sitcom for 20 years mm -hmm. so she was done with the weekly grind of a sitcom because Maud started in 72. Mm -hmm. And then in between Maud, she did that horrible Amanda by the Sea that we mm -hmm. talked about. So she had been, as she said in her one woman show, I've been in that box for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think she absolutely made the right choice to, to, to leave. Um, and I don't think the producers made the right choice to carry on the show without her. And or without replacing her with someone else who could fulfill a similar role, bring in Elaine Stritch or somebody who would keep the balance the way it is. But probably yeah. better to just stop it, just say, okay, you know what? The show is what it is and it's not what it is without her. So let's not be anymore. They've made their fucking money and they still are with all the reruns as far as the producers are concerned. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the producers, shall we? Please. The show was created by Susan Harris, and she also executive produced it with uh, her husband, Paul Junger Witt, and uh, another producer named Tony Thomas. You see that all over uh, many of her shows, a Witt Thomas Harris production. They were kind of a team there. I went on a little bit of a trip down a rabbit hole because I'm like, who is Susan Harris? To me, Susan Harris was just this producer who came out of nowhere in the late seventies and then uh, had some popular shows. So I'm like, where did she come from? What are, what are her roots? Well, some of her early writing was featured on the Partridge family, love American style, all in the family Maud. Uh, there was a 1975 sitcom called Faye, which starred Lee Grant, and uh, only lasted for 10 episodes, but I think that was the first show she officially created and executive produced. And uh, episodes of that are on YouTube. And if you watch it, you're like, okay, this is like 
Mary Tyler Moore meets One Day at a Time and uh, One Day at a Time premiered that same year. And clearly that was the show that people were more enthralled with. Uh, there was a sitcom called Loves Me, Loves Me Not for, um, it was, a, it ran four or five episodes and it starred Susan Day and the wonderful Kip Gilman. Kip Gilman. How are you not a vaudevillian performer from 1892? I do not know. But apparently he was on Trapper John and later would be on Nurses. Um, but then the big break for Susan Harris was 1977, Soap. Ran for four seasons. We talked about how uh, its predecessor was Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, a Norman Lear show that ran in first run syndication late night because it was so crazy. Soap seems to be the sort of more palatable weekly version of a dramedy. And uh, I love soap. That was a show I grew up. My mom loved soap. I always think of my mom and have happy uh, memories with her when I think of the show or when I watch it. Soap spawned an offspring uh, spinoff, Benson, in 1979. Benson ran for seven seasons. <laughs> Briefly, It Takes Two in 1982. That's the Patty Duke and Richard Crenna show, which holds the distinction of being early TV appearances by Helen Hunt and Anthony Edwards, and it has the Golden Girls Kitchen. Even though they live in a high rise in Chicago, it is the identical set that would become the Golden Girls Kitchen three years later. Uh, also when it takes to Matthew, Billy Bird. We just had her on the Facts of Life as Natalie's grandmother. That episode hasn't dropped yet. That's the um, right or wrong episode. And uh, yeah, Billy Bird is there. And then Empty Nest, which ran 88 to 95 for seven seasons. Nurses ran 91 to 94 for three seasons. Uh, and then a show called The Secret Lives of Men. 13 episodes, only ran for a half a season. 98 to 99 is when it ran. It was a show with Bradley Whitford, Mitch Rouse, and Peter Gallagher. Oof. Never heard of this, and it didn't go. And she doesn't really have much on her resume since then. But of course, nowadays, uh, she's 81 years old and probably kind of done her television time. And there is uh, an article I read somewhere, or maybe it's on IMDb, that she wrote a lot of the episodes of Soap. She would have written a lot more of Golden Girls and not farmed it out to the actual writers. Uh, but she started suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome during Golden Girls. So uh, good for her. She made her mark on television. And uh, I, I hope she's doing well and, and feeling okay in her retirement. Did you notice who wrote the episode, Matthew? No, I did not. It was written by Mitchell Hurwitz. His first credit was being the co-associate producer for a show called Heartland in 1989. And then he started writing for the Golden Girls and Empty Nest in 1990, moving his way up to a supervising producer and writer for the Golden Palace. But Mitchell Hurwitz is probably best known for uh, a certain little series that ran from 2003 to 2019 called Arrested Development. Mm. That is his show created and wrote a lot of the episodes that won him three Emmy Awards in 2004 and 2005. And again, I don't think the writing of this episode was bad. I think it's just, it was so jarring, so much change, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute after I talk about the director, Peter D. Bate, B-E-Y-T. You'd think it, it would be spelled B-A-T-E, and Peter D. Bate would be a Citizens of Hollywood politician character. Yeah. Peter DeBate, you want to fight? He directed six episodes of The Golden Girls. He was the associate director of 89 episodes of The Golden Girls. That's a lot. He directed 10 of the episodes of Golden Palace. And he was the associate producer for Will and Grace during the reboot seasons, 2017 to 2020. But the majority of his credits are as an editor, not a director which I think is interesting. So you think he would have learned his lesson from Golden Palace to not bring back Arrested Development the way he did on Netflix, which was oh. just unwatchable. Yeah, that's right. Talking about Hurwitz again. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the deal with Golden Girls is, as we said, it should have ended. 
So instead of gently moving us into a different series or a different version of this series, uh, number one, they change networks. Now suddenly it's not on NBC anymore, it's on CBS, that's weird. Number two, new night and new time. Now it is on Fridays at eight instead of Saturdays at nine. So <laughs> that's already dangerous when you know your audience is mostly senior citizens who are not known for their flexibility in their schedule watching. And they clumped it with a lineup that included veteran shows, Major Dad and Designing Women, Designing Women was on its way out. It was in its final season. And Bob, the newest of the Bob Newhart series, and it did not run very long. It wasn't very good. So a lot of changes, too many changes to its circumstances, let alone that the premise of this show is that our ladies, whom we knew had light employment, went out and did things, but really the focus of the show was their home life and their relationships. Suddenly, out of the blue, B. Arthur leaves and Rose, Blanche, and Sophia decide to buy a fucking hotel? Sell the house and buy a, use the money to buy a hotel. They yeah, sell and the, the twist in the pilot is, well, here we are, we're the hotel owners, and I guess, you know, we're going to live here, and this is an investment property, and start raking in the money. And that's when they find out that uh, no, the hotel's actually in financial trouble. Half of the staff or all of the staff has quit. And now it becomes they have to work in their old age to try to keep the hotel afloat. And it's like watching them, you know, watching Rose have to walk around with a cart and fold towels and knowing that Sophia is cooking for people in a dining room. It's just suddenly having them in these type of making it a workplace show. It's a workplace sitcom now for all intents and purposes. It is not a home life sitcom. And it's just, it's, I don't like it. I do not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It is. And that's it. They, but again, I, I, I watched them all because I just pressed play on the pilot because what the fuck else have I got to do with my life? And, um, <laughs> And it's not as bad as you would think, but it's it's a 90s sitcom. It, mm -hmm. It's it, there is no concern for who these characters are. They're just the golden girls out in the real world. There's a kid in it, for Christ's sake, who yeah. once again, I will ask, were there any good child actors that fucking showed up at the audition? And if they guess. did, why was this kid cast? Because he's just awful. He adds nothing to the show. He's like homeless or something. They've got a homeless kid living in this fucking hotel. And then doesn't he become Don Cheadle's uh, uh, foster son or something? I think they dropped him halfway through the series. But um, Don Cheadle's lovely. Um, he is. I really teach. like him in this show. Cheech Martin is wonderful. Marin. The, the <laughs> girls are wonderful. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's just, you're just like, oh, mm, this, this. And not only, it, it, like it was supposed to be on NBC, but NBC was like, oh, season seven didn't do great, guys. So how about we just order like six of these episodes? and see what happens. And CBS yes. was like, no, we'll give you all the money and we'll give you a full season. So NBC was like, good luck, wah, wah, and yeah. have fun. But it, so it, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's, in, I mean, it's enjoyable to see these characters. And after 20 years of having not seen it, now that it's on Hulu, watching it and almost feeling like oh new episodes of the golden girls but not <laughs> and yeah like watching arrested development you're like oh why oh what just leave it alone watching this because i haven't to bring it to a more modern comparison because i had not seen these since they originally aired i had to remind myself that this was the year directly after the golden girls went off the air but having not seen this season, this quote unquote eighth season of the Golden Girls, it was like watching. Um, and then there's that. What the fuck is it called? And just like that. 
whatever. But the the Sex in the City. And then like, and then there's that. That's what <laughs> that should be called because that fucking turd. And the only difference is these girls are younger than the stars of. And then there's that. <laughs> so. Oh, it's true. Cynthia Nixon states explicitly she's 55 on the show. And that's how old Dorothy is supposed to be in, I think, season one or two of the Golden Girls. Girl, they tell there's an episode of this where they tell Sophia that she's 87. You would have a fit. <laughs> I, oh, I'm sure I would. Oh, I know for what facts of life. I know Golden Girls is a uh, very I've I have not watched them in sequence. Golden Girls was a lovely show to just pop into when they were on 24 hour rotation on Lifetime. Uh, but at one point they did rerun these. It's not like these have been in a vault. There was a period of time in syndication. This was considered the the de facto eighth season of Golden Girls. And they just lumped it in with the syndication package, didn't they? Or when it was on Hallmark, I think they did do a one time okay. repackaging of it. But the I show... feel like I've stumbled across this show. This isn't the first time I've seen it since the first Broadcast. The show itself has never been sold into syndication. This is the first time it's been seen in its yeah. entirety. Like, I don't even know if it's got a DVD release. Is it on DVD? I think it is. Yeah, because it's 24 episodes. It's a full season. Like you said, CBS gave them a full season order. And uh, <sighs> yeah, so um, what else? Let me make sure we, we, we've already talked about great stuff. This is really good. They um, offered um, Rue McClanahan um, su- suggested that they do what you suggested, that they stay in the house and bring in another character. And I guess the um, production team was uninterested in mm-hmm. doing another season of that. So I just, again, the idea of, I get the idea of wanting, and part of the charm of the Golden Palace for me and rewatching all of the episodes was their willingness to make fun of their own stereotypes that they had created. Oh, they get into it this episode. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, um, and so like, it's like, you know, like we watch the office and we're like, okay, this is how Dwight is. And this is how Michael Scott is but then they would put them in the real world and it becomes an even more heightened sense of farce because now the real, real people have to deal with, with Rose Nyland. And yes. Real people have to deal with Blanche Devereaux. Uh, clearly there's an episode where she hits on the pool guy who is like, honest to Christ, probably 26 and he's not like there's no sense of irony in it. Oh, like wow. th- there's no sense of like, uh, you are um, hitting on me. Like it's <laughs> like he's like he's like all for it. Like, and anyway, so wow. <laughs> and it's it just it, 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 I don't know. Did you watch the episode with um, Tim Conway and um, and Harvey Corman? Anna. I did not. No, I didn't see that one. <laughs> oh, it's only slightly transphobic. Oh, boy. Thank God. I was worried we weren't going to get something offensive out of this. Anyway. Yeah, we've talked about the cast. We have Betty White returning as uh, Rose Nyland. We've got Rue McClanahan as Blanche Devereaux. We have. We know who's in the cast, David. <laughs> we know who the Golden Girls are. Sorry. <laughs> We have Estelle Getty. We have Estelle Getty. There it is. As Sophia. In a different wig, by the way. They're trying to make her look a little stylish. You notice it's not quite an old lady wig. It's got a little more of a of, of a directional wave to it. It's like... Yeah. You yeah, want to mention Jeanette Dubois as, um, as Don Cheadle's mom. Oh, would she play his mom? And Barry Bostwick as Blanche's love interest. And... You want to, who else do you want to talk about in the cast? I was going to talk Herb, about the cast Herb for this Edelman episode. Com- Herb Edelman comes back. How about Ned Beatty as Rumik as Blanche's special needs brother? Oh, bless. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm scared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but the other people added to the cast, we said Don Cheadle is the hotel manager, and he's the one basically trying to teach them how to run the hotel 
because apparently they can't afford to hire any staff. They have to do everything, which is just preposterous. And then uh, this, this fucking kid, I don't know who he is or where he came from or what he's doing there. And then uh, as the cook, Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong, trying to branch out and take on more acting roles, which he absolutely would continue to do uh, to this day in his career. And uh, yeah, Don Cheadle's name is Roland. Cheech Marin's name is Chewy. I don't know if I can promise you I will uh, get the names right of the actor versus the character, but uh, it's certainly a goal to aim for, isn't it? It is. So before we get to the microscopic dissection, I love to see what's on the other networks, what else was uh, on the competing things. Oh, <laughs> wow. So I talked about this new block of shows on CBS. Uh, ABC already had Family Matters, Step by Step, the whole TGIF block. This was a losing goddamn battle. Yeah, because it was not going to hold its share in in the even with the demographic difference where you would think, well, no, it's families would watch ABC and uh, the senior citizens would watch Mat Matlock and Murder, She Wrote and this. But nope. And uh, because they didn't even want to compete with any of that, NBC ran typically either an Unsolved Mysteries episode or one of the newer Perry Mason mysteries. Uh. So, uh, yeah. And so the last thing before we move on here, finally, is tvtango.com, which is where I always find what is on. It will literally show any network television schedule, any specific night throughout history. Um, it's not completely comprehensive, but usually it's got most everything there. Uh, TV Tango shows the ratings and the shares. And I was looking at these numbers. I don't understand what they are. I know they have to do with percentages of households with their TVs on and millions of viewers and all this bullshit. But I will say the ratings and the shares of Golden Palace aren't that much lower than those of Golden Girls. If you go back the previous year to the final season of Golden Girls, yeah, you think to yourself, it's kind of one of those where might it have caught on? Might it have just petered along a couple of three seasons? If no, because in, after about four weeks, the audience was like, I'm out. Well, it like did. It did go down. It did decline, but it didn't decline so far. I don't yeah. perceive from the numbers. It probably is one of those. The network was like, we basically got the Golden Girls. We're CBS and we fucking stole the Golden Girls from NBC. Fuck them. This is our cash cow. And it's one of those. What? You're only performing at 65 percent of, of how you were before when you had 80 percent of TVs watching. Uh, fuck this. Cancel it. You wonder if it wasn't just a, we expected it to be a big cash cow and it ended up being a medium-sized one and they decided to punish it for that. That happens. Well, what did CBS do with that night next, the next season? Because oh, was it question. Was this, was this the last, because this was the last season for Designing Women, was it not? It was. Okay, so pulling up on TV Tango, October 29th of 93 now, one year later uh, on the Friday, uh, still ABC, Family Matters, Boy Meets World, Step by Step, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. It looks um, like they canceled that whole fucking night because Major Dad's last season was 93, Designing Women's last season was 93, this last season was 93. Yeah, they kept Bob. I didn't realize it ran another season. Yeah, but Betty they have White diagnosis murder. Oh, that's right. Yes, she did. Diagnosis murder was on the eight to nine time slot. And then uh, a show called Family Album was on at 930 after Bob. So let's talk about the plot of this show. Let's get into it. The first scene is in the lobby. Uh, here's a good example of what we do with this kid. He walks in to uh, the over to the couch where Sophia is sitting and she says, hey, shorty. And he goes, hey, wrinkly. Ha-ha! Mm. Okay, wow. Mm. Anyhow, uh, the kid needs help with his homework. He asks Roland, and Roland says, yeah, I'll stick around and I'll help you with your homework because you're a, an orphan or you're my foster son or something, I don't know. His but dad's in prison or something. Like, yeah. this is why I wanted to watch the, um, the pilot so I could get who, what each character was. And... I just, I, I can't believe that these gifted writers 
didn't watch this pilot and be like, the kid ain't working. The kid, it's just, Thank you. How I mean, preposterous it is. After Facts of Life, where it is, even though we love Andy, we love we love Mac, as we call him. Uh, it is preposterous that this kid hangs out with these adult women and just lives in a hotel. Like there's no social services or anything. Uh, no, yeah. I, the, no, like the first minute he called me wrinkly, I would have been like one nine one one. Hey, there's a kid here. <laughs> That won't fucking leave. That has no parents. <laughs> uh, Somebody come and pick this bastard up. He just called me wrinkly. <laughs> anyway. Well, in response to him saying he's going to stay and help with schoolwork, Blanche says, well, Roland, I gave you the night off. And he's like, nah, I don't mind. You know me. I'm a workaholic. He's drinking workahol. <laughs> good, good Rose line there. Uh, so Blanche and Rose are talking about the fact that he hasn't taken a single night off since they've taken over this place six weeks ago. Uh, so Rose is like, he's lonely and I know he hasn't been dating anyone. And uh, they have this running thing of them saying, I should know I'm an expert on love. And they basically decide to fix him up. And Rose, Rose says she wants to fix him up and Blanche doesn't, right? And Rose basically calling Blanche chicken challenges her and says let's let's do this let's you know let's see if we can fix him up and whoever he likes better wins this contest which is a great callback to the rose nyland character flaw of her competitiveness yes that was always one of the best running gags in the golden girls was that every once in a while this green-eyed monster would show up in fucking rose nyland yes and it was so great to see that again. Like she wanted to win this. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And she's, yeah, she's a dick about it in some cases. And then Sophia chimes in with, there's a simple reason he doesn't date women. They're not men. And they're like, what? And she says, I haven't seen a flame that big since I went to Arlington cemetery. Ha ha. So Sophia thinks he might be a homosexual. A flame that big. Hmm. It's 1992, dear. Okay. And, um, and I thought, and I did think for a second when, when she said that, I thought, well, that would have made this character a little more interesting to why, like, why couldn't Don Cheadle have been gay? It's very possible. Yeah, that would have been fine. Uh, so then we go into the kitchen. And we have this running gag throughout the entire series of Sophia being critical of Chewie's cooking. And there's just always being a thorn in his side about the way he makes the meals. And uh, again, never mind the fact that we're just, we just accept because it's a 90s sitcom that this 87 year old stroke victim <laughs> is now running a hotel restaurant. Got it. Okay, you just have to go for the buckle and just go for the ride. Accept it. Okay. They do make a joke in the next episode when uh, Dorothy shows up and says that she thinks that they're working her too hard. She thinks she wants to take Ma back to Atlanta to live with her and her husband, Leslie Nielsen. And she's like, uh, but I couldn't go away. She's like, all I've invested in the hotel. And I think Blanche says something like, yeah. Basically, Sophia, all you really contributed was that candy dish on yeah. the coffee table in the lobby. And then the later joke is, <laughs> I forget what it is, but she says, oh, Dorothy, I'm so happy. Here, have a present and hands her the candy dish. And Dorothy looks at it and says to Ma, happy birthday, love Dorothy. <laughs> so you see, and I like that. I'm like, that's, that's funny. I don't mind this writing that much. Um, Roland, after announcing this TV thing, which doesn't really have much of a payoff, this B story, uh, Roland goes back to the lobby, leaving Rose and Blanche alone. And Rose says she's already got a beautiful woman lined up. She's about to show up at the lobby, walk into Roland's life, and she's going to win the bet and Blanche will be the loser. So Blanche, not to be outdone, now left alone in the kitchen, says, I need to find Roland a delicate creature. And in comes a woman named Roy. <laughs> How would you describe Roy, Matthew? 
I, I don't know if this had happened yet, but I felt like it was the one um, Jamie Foxx's Wanda character from In Living Color. Oh, yeah. No, In Living Color has already been happening. Yeah. So I felt like it was kind of like a like like a poor man's version of that, like a less funny version of that. But it's just yeah. a, a big it's a big, sturdy woman that yep. is is a meat like a, she's a butcher or something. Yeah, she is a very large African-American and she's holding a gigantic, not quite a side of beef, but it is real. You can tell it's a real like. leg of a cow over her shoulder with this with this meat hook that she's got into it and it's literally you know on cue she shows up the actress by the way is Sonia Hunt and this is her only acting credit I wonder why yeah Uh, she wasn't as popular as her brother Michael I don't know I think he went by Mike sometimes I think he did Mm mm-hmm Anyway, Blanche pounces on her and is like, hey, how'd you like to meet a cute looking guy? And she says, "Uh, do I have time to make myself pretty? Basically, no. So she quickly parades her right into the lobby, walks right up to Roland, who is on the phone and a very funny physical bit. Uh, He hangs up the phone and Blanche says, Roland, there's someone I want you to meet. He turns around to shake her hand and she's got the meat hook in her hand. And he doesn't just jump. He jumps and ends up sitting on the counter. Very funny, extra physical bit. And it was like, okay, you go, Don Cheeto. Very three camera sitcom level of reaction. Mm -hmm. Totally. But it didn't seem out of place. Didn't seem wrong. He totally sold it for me. And then he says, uh, what is your friend's name? (laughs) And we realize it's Roy. And is that really her name? Or is that just what Blanche Fakey calls her? And they never correct it. It was the name on her, um, on her jacket. Smock on her, yeah, yeah. on her smock that was covered in blood. So let's let's parade her into the lobby of our yeah. hotel, mm-hmm. covered in blood. <laughs> well, Roland pulls her aside and is like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "Oh, I think you guys are getting along great. Isn't that terrific?" And he says, "She's scaring away the guests." He goes, "I'm sure she's nice. It's not her. It's the blood and the hook." And Blanche said, oh, come on, you must have so much in common. You're so similar. And I'm so happy for this moment where he says, in what way? And Blanche says, well, well, you you know. And he says, no, I don't know. Well, you're you're just, you're similar, you know, you're, you're. And finally he says, we're black. And Rue McClanahan has this amazing, what? Oh, like she just notices that they're both black in that moment to cover her racist ass. I love that moment so, so much. There's a great episode later on um, <clears throat> where they welcome the, um, the, con- the ladies of the Confederacy or something. And Blanche oh. has to deal with her racism and... Yeah, that's right. Roland uh, protests and threatens to quit because they want to hang. Don't they want to hang a Confederate flag in the lobby or something? They do. They oh, they do. Oh, and Blanche has to deal with her her family history. It's actually a pretty, really good episode. Yeah, I think I remember Wikipedia mentions that as a notable episode. So then uh, watching this whole exchange, Sophia says to Blanche, you should be ashamed. I've got someone coming who is going to like Roland for who he really is. And in comes Mr. Ricciuti. And uh, what, what, uh, how would you describe Mr. Ricciuti, uh, uh, Matthew? Um, I, I don't know, old queen? Old <laughs> queen. Exactly what I would have said. Monty Landis. This is the actor playing Mr. Ricciuti, 67 credits in a 41-year career, born in Scotland, raised in England, so his accent is authentic. He's been working in the States since the 1960s. I say that in the present tense, Matthew, because he's still alive. He's 88 years old, hasn't worked in a while. Here he is 59 years old, but uh, apparently he was in seven episodes of The Monkees in seven different roles. Mm. You might also recognize him as Mario, the magic shop owner in Big Pee Wee's Big Adventure. 
Oh, yes. Yes, I did see that. And, and he played the artist on The Golden Girls, season three, episode 13, where I don't remember this episode. They take in an artist and... No, not the artist. He, um, the artist was a different actor. His name was Laszlo. And he's going to sculpt the girls. And they're all trying to figure out why he won't fuck any of them. And then the very last scene is Monty Landis as the, um, as the art um, museum curator is the one who says Laszlo. And then they realize, <laughs> oh, he's going with that guy. Uh, so, I guess he's a well-known queen in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently. Aren't we all, though, really? Uh, but he's got the big puffy fluffed up hair, pink shirt and pocket square and ascot. And it's really stereotypical, but it is 92. So uh, it's. Oh, well, and speaking of that, um, the exterior shots of the Golden Palace, the Carlisle um, in Miami was used for the exterior shots of the birdcage. Oh, okay. Right there on, on South Beach. Yep. Okay. I, I totally could see that. Um, so as Roland turns around to see Mr. Ricciuti, he quickly grabs a hold of Blanche and says, I'm with her. Like, it's <laughs> like, clearly Sophia is not correct about wondering if Roland might be gay. And then uh, they're like, what are you doing, Sophia? And she says, nah, not that relax. I just brought him to do some research. And Mr. Ricciuti walks up to Roland and says, potpourri. And Roland says, no, thank you. And Mr. Ricciuti turns and says, straight, no chaser. And then walks away. <laughs> it's like, it's like, finish this sentence. Clang, 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 went the <laughs> fire engine. Straight. <laughs> So uh, anyhow, at this moment, Rose comes in with this gorgeous African-American woman named Joanne. And so just as he is uh, saying, would you guys butt out of my personal life? Would you please go fuck yourselves? And he turns around and says, OK, this is the last time I'm doing anything like this for you guys, because she is really strikingly beautiful. And then he walks over to Joanne and says, hi, I'm Roland Wilson, raging heterosexual. Nice to meet you. Huge laugh. And he sells it. I'm, I, I don't have any criticisms of a lot of the humor here. I really don't. Monica Allison is the actress who plays Joanne. This is her first credit. She is still working. 37 credits and a 40-year career, including a lot of uh, voiceover, cartoon work, video games, and some soap operas. So out they go. Rose is like, oh, it's done. Blanche, you lost the bet. You're done. And this funny moment where Rose goes into the elevator, hits the button, and as the doors close, she's doing this <laughs> evil laugh. And then the doors open up and she's still there. And she realizes she hit the wrong button, hits it, and then goes back to <laughs> so damn funny. So Blanche is despondent. She's going to lose this bet. And this is the most important thing right now. Not running the hotel, not anything like that. So she happens to say in the presence of the kid, notice I haven't used the kid's name. I don't even know what his name is. Don't give a shit. I don't know. Who the fuck is this kid? But the kid says, I'm not sure it's going to work out with that lady because I think Roland is still hung up on Trisha, his old girlfriend. And when Blanche asks for more information about this girl, Trisha, uh, all he knows is that they were serious, but then she moved back to Atlanta. And so Blanche is like, this contest isn't over yet. Then we go into the kitchen. We've got Sophia trying to sabotage Chewy as he is practicing what he's going to make on television. Uh, and then Blanche comes in and says, I shit you not. This is where we get into sitcom logic. Uh, I went into Roland's phone book, found this girl... Trisha's number. I'm sending her a plane ticket and she's going to be here later. Which is weird because the she gets there and says she got a telegram. Yeah, that was so, weird too. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, now we're getting into sitcom logic. Sophia, you're part owner of this hotel. You really want to make your chef look bad on TV? I know. Like, yeah. So, I mean, 
You know right. what? I'm, I don't know if I wrote this down verbatim, but Blanche says, I think she says, uh, I went through his phone book. I found Trish's number. I sent her a ticket and she'll be here later. So she might've sent the ticket yeah. and a telegram saying it's Roland. I believe Trisha later yeah. comes in and says, well, when you sent for me and she doesn't say a woman named Blanche called me mm. like the big, there is a question lingering in the air of who the fuck did this awful, stupid thing. Uh, anyway. So then later, uh, so no sooner do we learn this plot, Roland comes in the kitchen and, uh, Blanche is sort of fishing to find out, well, how did things go with that uh, other woman? How did that go with that Joanne? Uh-huh. Was it, uh, it's, you know, anyone other else that she might remind you of? Anyone you can't seem to forget? And uh, he says, well, there is my ex-girlfriend, Trisha. <laughs> what a miserable experience that was. And Blanche is like, Ugh. And he says, she suffocated me. She's so possessive and clingy. She played this game called Mr. Walking Fingers. You know what? Never mind. Uh, but let's just say this. She didn't love me. She loved me. She loved her widow Woland. And Blanche says, well, how did you break up with her? And he says, I told a widow why. Funny. And then the last scene before we go to commercial, he's on the phone with Joanne making another date. He's really happy, hangs up, and says she is great. At which point, enter Kim Fields. But before Kim Fields walks in, another one of my issues with sitcomdom. Could Blanche get any closer to Roland oh, on that, yes. that phone? Like, I thought they were going to have a romantic scene. They were on top of each other. And I just don't like, I, maybe I don't understand three camera sitcom blocking, but it just, they were like literally nose to nose. And again, David, I love you. But if you and I were in the kitchen and you were that close to me, I'd be like, why are you on top of me? <laughs> ah. I do know from some of the home improvement makeover shows they do talk about the fact that on camera rooms look larger than they uh, are. And when they furnish a room, when they're staging a room for TV and you notice this, you will notice when you open the front door, there's a fucking dining room chair right there. Like yeah. there's usually very little travel space between the counter and the couch and stuff, because I think for television, you have to fill a room overstuffed for it to look normal full on camera. So I wonder if there is some rule of TV directing where it's like, no, if you put your actors at a comfortable distance on camera, it's going to look like they're too far apart to have a normal conversation. Yeah. I wonder. I guess. Hmm. No, I'm just, that's all I can think of in my stupid brain uh, to, to do that. That's where my brain is going as far as thinking, is it a thing? It has to be. I mean, it has to be from what we've seen on Facts of Life and Golden Girls and, and, and various directors. It's everybody does it. So anyway. Kim feels looking lovely. Good God, she is gorgeous this episode. So yes, in comes Kim Fields who sneaks up behind him, puts her hands over his eyes and says, hello, lover, guess who? And he says, Please, God, tell me it's Elmer Fudd. And we go to commercial there. I mean, that's structurally. Remember, we had a couple of weird episodes of Facts of Life where the structure was weird, where there was a bet made and yet it didn't have a payoff and it happened late in the episode. This episode structurally is working because we established Blanche and Rose having this noticing Roland's singleness right in the first scene they get it going and it's like okay well we're coming up with a scheme and they both set things in motion as part of their schemes and right before commercial is it blowing up or potentially blowing up horribly in their face this is absolutely good and right and sound from a storytelling standpoint so Kim Fields, this is now 1992. We haven't seen Kim Fields since 1988 at the end of the Facts of Life. Um, was this the first thing she did after that? 
Uh, I have no idea. Probably not. The next year, 1993, that's when she would start doing Living Single, which was five years, 118 episodes, where she plays a character named Regina with an E at the end. And the show she's currently on, the Wanda Sykes sitcom, The Upshaws, her character's name is Regina. It's like, really? <laughs> I, I get that you would have written a wife's name Regina in an African-American sitcom, but really? You couldn't have, once you cast Kim Field, said, let's change the name to something else. <laughs> it is, according to IMDb. It is the, it is the first thing she did. She did a, a music video um, in 1989, but this is the first time we've seen her. Since. Four years. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a mm. long time. I mean, again, she hopefully had tucked away some money after nine years in the facts of life. Uh, and that those Mrs. Butterworth commercials, you know, all that, all that big syrup money. But FYI, I always do this about other actors. Let's look at Kim Fields. 60 credits in a 45-year career, going strong. She has 10 producer credits in addition to that and 23 directing credits. Kim Fields is the most workingest of all of the Facts of Life girls uh, in terms of she's really carved out uh, other work for herself by getting behind the camera and being in the production end as well as in the performing end. Now we've come back from commercial and yeah, what we learn is she says to him, I got your telegram. I would have been happy to pay for the plane ticket myself. And Blanche says, now she tells me. And it's like, what? Now she tells me her name. Hello, I'm Blanche. And you are a little nice cover. And so then Kim Fields drops what we earlier alluded to. She says, Roland and I used to date until he entered the priesthood. And so Blanche is like, okay, then. Well, uh, you know, of course, we'll put you up at the hotel, gives her a room key. And as she leaves, Kim Fields perfectly and annoyingly says, I love you. I'll be thinking of you. You'll be thinking of me. I mean. Weird. I mean, this guy walked out of your life however long ago and you walk right back in and knowing that he went to the priesthood and immediately you're all handsy and I love you. Uh, oh, uh, mm. yeah. At least we could have had a line of, okay, I want to hear all about yeah, why you're, I didn't know you were here back in Florida working in a hotel. I want to hear all about it and what you've been up to. We should have written to me sooner kind of a thing. That, that could have helped a little bit. Yes, truly. Um, then we go to the dining room. And we have a great scene. A great scene where we have Roland with Blanche and Rose and Sophia. And he basically says, she's been calling the lobby over 20 times. I can't handle it. I can't keep running from her. But anyway, you guys, you don't want to talk about my personal life. And they're all like, sit down. We all, that's all we do. And Chewie goes <laughs> like bleeding in a shark tank. <laughs> and he Who says, says, yeah. That? That, hmm? Who says that? Chewie. Cheech. Chewie. No, I thought you said Tootie says. No, Chew like, no, Chewie does sound like Tootie, doesn't it? Chewie. Uh and he says, oh, I, I know you guys eat cheesecake and tell each other stories and uh, all that thing. He says, I don't know if any of you would have a story about being madly pursued. And all three of them are like, oh, fuck. Yes, I do. And then they start shitting on each other for the stories they haven't yet told. They start shitting on each other for what was their character for seven years. Right, right. In That's that what's so brilliant yeah. it's like so, they're so, shitting on fucking door. Uh, rose had the funniest one she goes what do you want to hear picture it sicily in seven years i could never picture sicily bring a photo or shut up <laughs> oh god and that was perfect as the last one of the comedy yeah. rule of threes the first yeah. one was uh sophia saying oh yeah you want to hear blanche's story all that southern moonshine mosquitoes and inbreeding and blanche says oh well would you rather hear about tap dancing chickens and her recipe for gerflerkendurk and herkenbergen 
<laughs> and Rose just laughs at her with that, with a a withering retort of, <laughs> "You say it like such a tourist." And then she says, "Well, what do you want to hear? Picture it, Sicily, yada yada." Anyhow, great moment where <laughs> we are really reinforcing these characters, which is good because we really haven't gotten a lot, lot of that. We've gotten a lot of Rose being dumb, but we haven't gotten Blanche and her Southern history, her cotillions and sluttiness and all that. Well, that we is... have, but the two, Chewie and Roland haven't. So right. that's why it, we, it, it immediately makes us feel like we're in on that joke. And as fans of the Golden Girls, we feel like we're part of the family and we can laugh at this, but we're in on this joke, but these two aren't. I'm in on the joke with the three yeah. girls, I guess. Yeah. No, it's a great moment. A great very, scene. very funny. I do have to say, it just occurred to me, there is something I do dislike about the later seasons of the Golden Girls. They used to make jokes at Blanche's expense about her having a lot of gentlemen callers, as it were. Once we got to the point where they were just saying the punchline, it's like we need a punchline at the end of the scene. Sophie would go, Blanche, you're a slut, and walk out of the room. When they started just full on explicitly saying it, Rose, you're a fucking dumbass. That is where I was like, oh, Golden Girls, you're better than this. What, what's yeah. happening? So that is how you can tell a later episode of the Golden Girls. They do get lazy with that. <laughs> Throughout this series, there's a lot of just like them shouting like tramp at yeah. like at Blanche and yeah, that so. So then the girls ask Roland, why did you lie to her? I mean, what is that? And he says, she cares so much about me. I didn't think she could take the rejection. I just wish I knew how she got here. What twisted mind could concoct such a hurtful scheme? And perfect comedy rule of threes again. Blanche says, <laughs> well, uh, Roland, there's something I do need to tell you, friend. And he says, oh, uh, what is that, pal? And she says, I'm the one that sent for her, buddy. And he says, you did what, dead woman? Actually, comedy rule of fours, but it worked because it was a back and forth. Anyway, then we go into the lobby. As we know, Trisha is going to be coming down soon because she can't get to him on the phone. He won't answer the phone. She says. Tell her the truth. And is it, I think it's Blanche at this point who's saying, tell her the truth. And he says, it will hurt her too much. And she says, it will hurt her either way. People would rather know the truth. Which is kind of the lesson of the episode. We still do have a lesson here coming uh, through it. So then uh, she does come down. Roland takes her into the dining room and sits her down. And he says, okay, Trisha, here's the truth. My mother was killed by Afghani rebels. And she says, again? <laughs> and then he finally does fess up that he made it up. He never entered the priesthood. He never left Florida. And Trisha surprises him and us by saying, I know. I knew you were lying with all those stories. I'm not an idiot. And he says, well, then why did you come here? And she says, I wanted one more shot at you. I thought we had such good times. And then she starts doing the little walking fingers up his arm. And she says, I thought Roland missed Mr. Walking Fingers climbing up Roland Mountain. And he has to grab her and physically like, stop it, don't do that. But now we find out what he was talking about earlier. And, and she does the baby talk voice perfect. And it is spot on annoying. Like, not, we don't hate her. We're just like, oh, she's a good person, but she's annoying. Yeah. And then he says, and wrapping this up perfectly and being kind, he says, Blanche invited you. I didn't invite you and I don't love you. You suffocate me. I'm sure there's some guy out there who wants a beautiful woman like you to love you the way that you love me, but that just can't be me. And it's like, oh, wow, finally. And she takes it very well. And she says, okay, you know why I was so hung up on you? Because you were the first guy I ever met who wasn't hung up on my enormous inheritance. Thanks. And out she walks, leaving him alone going, wait, what? <laughs> uh, 
a great scene, a great ending. Kim Fields is fantastic. Perfection in this scene. No criticism. 0.0. And then we come back to sort of end scene that sort of wraps it all up and tries to kind of link our A story and our B story. Chewie comes back. How did the taping go with the TV studio? And he goes, it went great, even with Sophia outside picketing the studio with a bullhorn. And then in comes Roland. And they're like, hey, Roland, you know, we're sorry about all the shit that went down. We're just concerned that you're working too hard. And he says, I work so much because I need to teach you ladies the hotel business. You're too new to this, and I can't trust you to run the hotel yet. And Rose says, well, Roland, it's not like we would do anything to hurt our own business. And in comes Sophia with a gigantic picket sign saying Golden Palace unfair. Ha ha! So after that, they have a lovely, we worry about you, we can't help it. You're family to us now. And he's like, really? That's so sweet. But please, no more meddling. I can handle my love life myself. And in walks Joanne. Ready for lunch, Roland? And he says, yep, I'll be right there. And he turns back as he exits okay, you got lucky this time. And out he goes. All is still good and right in the world. Uh, and end of episode, roll credits. And Rose won the Rose contest. Won the contest. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> well, my final thought is, David, and Golden Palace aside, Golden Girls aside, I would like to formally go on record for the eight people that pay to hear this. <laughs> there are 45 Tutti Fruities. How yeah. dare you? For the eight <laughs> people that have made it to the end of this particular episode of TV Talkaholics, maybe Kim Fields isn't the worst actress ever. <gasps> Maybe because you're absolutely right. That last scene, she was just fantastic. So it's amazing what that actress can do (laughs) with actual good writing. So, Mm -hmm. and Kim Fields is 23 now. We we had a lot of problems with some of the choices she was making and the volumes at which she was performing. When she was still a teenager, she's still finding her way. That's a lot to to put on a teenager to expect them to sustain adult level professionalism and stuff. But yeah, no, she has grown into a fine actress. Did you ever watch Living Single? God, no. I was not really the demographic. How dare you? (laughs) Like you were the demographic for the Golden Girls. Really? Seriously? Racist. Racist. Which one of us is a year older than Kim Fields? Uh-huh. Well, I know I'm one year older than her. How many years older than her are you? How dare you? <laughs> we, I, I am told Ken Reed loves living single. And I am told by many people that if you didn't care for friends, you might like living single. Like a lot of people think living single was the better version of friends. It just didn't have the same audience because it didn't have the publicity machine and it didn't have only white people on the screen. Mm. So I never watched it. And I mean, you know, the cast is great. I'm wondering we, maybe we need to look at an episode of that just for, for shagels and for being able to do another thing here where we can highlight Kim Fields and, where her career went after Facts of Life. Well, and as two gay men, we are certainly attracted to uh, a sassy black woman. So, (laughs) And uh, the last thing I want to say about this episode is when she walked in and put her hands over Don Cheadle's eyes, you do realize there was something that struck a chord in me that made me happy at the core of my soul because this is the moment the Facts of Life Cinematic Universe officially has collided with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh. So the folk you and the... And the, and the mick you. And the mick you. <laughs> the, the folk mic- you. Okay. 
Yeah. Exactly. Because for those who don't know, John Cheadle plays War Machine. He was, he was in a, a couple of movies you might have heard of called uh, Avengers and Captain America Civil War and, you know, Infinity War, Endgame, all that stuff. Don Cheadle's he's, he's an Avenger. So That's very much of you, because I was just excited that the folk you um, collided with the Gulhi. <laughs> the Golden Girls cinematic the yeah. giga Q. <laughs> do yourself a favor david and just like do on one of those days when you clean the house just put it on hulu and let them play because there are some actually good episodes of of golden palace it's not you, it, you're, you're not going to be like oh this is just painful it's not as painful as you remember it's not no. as bad as everybody says it is it just was wrong. It's only crime is it is not the Golden Girls. The Golden yeah. Girls is what it was. And this show could not be that. It was just it's 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 an impossibility. There's no way. So, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. The few I watched, I, I will totally go back. And I do want to see that one. The one about the uh, Confederate flag, because uh, talk about being ahead of your time. Holy shit. 30 well, years ago to be having conversations about that. It also shows you how little anything has changed. No. So, but the Tim Conway episode is especially enjoyable with him and Harvey Corman. Oh, good. I um, see that. I'm not a huge fan of the special need with Ned Beatty playing the special needs brother. <laughs> but Do they please tell me they don't call him the R word. I'm going to let you watch it. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, this wraps up another TV Talkaholics, Matthew, 27 episodes Jesus under our belt. Right. That's and more than two years, David. I know. And uh, I did check. It's 43. We have 43 Tutti Fruities. There are 43 people listening to this uh, to whom I cannot give enough thanks for wanting to financially support the show. And uh, I hope you enjoy this. And uh, until next time, I think for me, we, we have to do our rating system. So how many talkaholic chips? I give this five out of five talkaholic chips. Yeah, definitely. Five out of five. It's a winner. It's fun to start at the pilot episode because you see them moving out of the house. And it, it's, it's kind of like a, it's been cold and rainy here the past couple of days. And mm. it, it was a nice, it was like slipping into a, an old blanket and it was an enjoyable sit down and watch for me. Yes. So there you've got it from the two of us. Go and watch Golden Palace on Hulu. And uh, we will catch you next month. We have no idea what we're going to be watching, but uh, we'll all find out what that is together on TV Talkaholics. Thank you, guys. Mwah. Oh, so. Uh, no, more about gel code. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. More importantly, 